Now that you have your place in Deuteronomy chapter 16, we'll also be referencing towards the end of our sermon today, also Romans chapter 6. So we'll be, we'll be turning there for a little while as well. Deuteronomy 16 and Romans chapter 6, verse 6 through verse 14. Today's sermon will be entitled, entitled I Will Pass Over You Again. Listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. And we have already, like I said, sang about the blood of Christ that has been offered for our atonement. And I am thankful that the Lord God has saved me and redeemed me through His Son. The very reason we meet here this morning is because of salvation, because we have been saved or redeemed, or maybe you're here this morning and you're just interested in, in hearing about, about the God of the Christian Scriptures. Maybe you're here this morning, you, you've never committed to Christ, you've never considered yourself to be a regenerate or a saved person in the eyes of God through the work of, of Jesus and I look back over my life and I can recollect a time in my own life when I would identify with the Apostle Paul. In fact, I would contend with the Apostle Paul in that I was the chiefest of sinners. In fact, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15 says, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves complete acceptance. To this world, Messiah came sinful people to reclaim, and I am the worst of them. King James would say that he is the chiefest of sinners. And for that, I believe that we all are contenders for that title. We are all chief sinners, and we were or are now in need of a spiritual washing from the blood of Messiah. At the beginning of today's service, we sang a song that was entitled, When I See the Blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The lyrics of that song, lyrics of that song go, but there is a powerful word in, in the verse. The lyrics of this song are powerfully cemented in the, in the work of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The verse of interest is this. Chiefest of sinners, Jesus will save. As he has promised, that he will do. Wash in the fountain, open for sin, and he will pass, will pass over you. Now, today we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 16. It is on the topic of Passover and how to transition from the Passover in Deuteronomy 16 to the work of Christ on the cross. But I want you to listen closely today. I want you to listen closely, for I'm speaking to everyone in here today. And how do I know that? It's because I'm reading from God's Word. And God's Word speaks to every age group, every demographic, everyone who hears the Word. The Word of God is, is speaking. So you are now in either one or the other position. You are now in your sins. 
You have come out of your sins by the work of Christ, or you are still struggling with sin today. Can we identify with one of those three? I'm reminded of the work of Christ in this decree that is offered by the evangelist John. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, the evangelist says this, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. So God has always called out sin. And yet He has always provided a way of absolution or atonement. And I believe that we must listen to the voice of God through His Word, for He has given us exactly what we need if we will hear His voice through His Word. Church, are we listening? Church, will we not only hear the Word, but will we also be obedient and be doers of that Word? As we dive into Deuteronomy 16, I'm going to be reading from two verses today. And we will focus in on the rest of the chapter. But what I believe as I read the totality of the scripture, I believe that God does not pass over sin unless he sees the blood. What I mean by that is God will not ultimately let sin go. Whether at this time or the time of great judgment, God will not pass over sin. God will not gloss over sin unless he sees the blood. And then Christ has become our absolution and our atonement. So if you will, let's read these first two verses together today. I'll be reading chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, then we'll offer our prayer before the Lord. If you will, let's stand for these verses. Very simply put, this is an observation of the Passover. Verse 1 says... Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Verse 2 says, And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock of your herd at the time or the place that the Lord will choose to make His name dwell there. Lord, we ask You, that you will bless our time in your word. Father, today, that we will listen to your voice. We will listen, Father, what you would have your church to hear today. As John the Revelator wrote on the Isle of Patmos to the churches of Asia Minor, let the church hear what the Spirit says. And so I pray that would be our desire is to hear what you would say to us today about the Passover and about how Jesus' blood was shed for the remission of our sins. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at verse 1, somewhere around the time of April, March or April, most scholars would pinpoint towards the month of, Mar- or month of April, the people observed the Passover sacrifice and the meal before the Lord. The preparation of the meal itself and the preparing of their heart and mind really at all accounts for worship. 
And we already know by the gospel account such a tremendous transaction has happened in the history of history. God in His sovereignty, God in His, His, His all-knowing nature and character, the sovereign timeline of, of the Lord has His Son, His only begotten Son, killed on the Passover. So Jesus himself becomes the spotless lamb that John the Baptist says, Behold, the spotless lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world. What a tremendous movement in history on God's sovereign timeline when with his son being the spotless lamb of God was sacrificed around the time of Passover. Thus, Jesus became and is the Passover Lamb. Now, ever since Adam and Eve willfully sinned against God, that we find in Genesis chapter 3, I want you to know this. As you read Scripture from, from the fall, that God has always provided a way of forgiveness and repentance. God has always offered an avenue of confession, repentance, and forgiveness. The first Passover is recorded in Exodus chapter 12, verse 2 through 20, when God himself says he will go through the land and strike down the firstborn. It is a commemoration of how God brought his people freedom, brought them out of Egypt. Now, along the way, they grumbled, they complained. They said to Moses and Aaron, you brought us out here to have us die. You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. When we were back in Egypt, we had all the leeks that we could eat and the water that we could drink, and yet you brought us out of here in the wilderness to die. And this has been the landmark, I think, of humanity since the beginning of the age, since the fall, is somehow we can always find room to grumble against the Lord in some way. But God has been faithful to always offer repentance and sacrifice and, and forgiveness. But we find this in Exodus 12, verse 2 through 20, commemorating how God brought them out of Egypt. But what is more important about the Exodus encounter, the Exodus narrative is, is how the people would be pardoned if, if, if they were obedient to every command that the Lord gave to them. To the preparation of the sacrifice, to the blood above the mantle. So let me emphasize this again. I believe we must listen to the voice of God through His Word, for He has given us everything that we need to hear through His Word. Now, if you were to follow down through the rest of this chapter, you, you will see that they are commanded to eat no unleavened bread. Eat no leavened bread. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. No leaven shall be seen with you in all the territory for seven days, nor shall any flesh that you sacrifice on the evening of the first day remain all night until the morning. Now, these are clear instructions that God had given to His people. Once again, the Lord knows better then everyone, for he is eternally and infinitely all-knowing. And again, has offered 
through every stage of human history, an avenue for repentance and forgiveness. And here the Lord has done the same. If the people were to be ready to move out of Egypt, ready to move at any moment, they did not have time for the bread to rise. They did not have time for the yeast to set into the loaf to rise. They needed to be able to move immediately. But then later in Scripture, later on in God's Word, leaven would come to be synonymous with disobedient and sin. In fact, you may have heard it said that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It is like a little bit of sin affects the whole thing. A little bit of leaven will affect the whole loaf or forces the loaf to rise. And so on that, we would say that sin affects the whole body, not just the individual. Yes, we're individual worshipers. Yes, we got up this morning, came to church, put our clothes on as individuals, and give an account individually to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, we do. But sin, as it affects the individual, affects the whole body of Christ. And so we are reminded of that through the avenue of leaven, that it affects the whole body and not just the individual. If there is an arm that is hurt in the body, it affects the body. If there is an eye that is injured in the body, it affects the whole body. If there is a leg that is injured, well, it affects the whole body. And so it is with sin as well. Sin affects the whole body, not just the individual. And as we transition through the rest of the chapter, he says, you may not offer the Passover sacrifice within any of the towns that have no care or inclination to serve the living God in these towns that God is giving you, in this place that God is giving you, but you will choose the place the Lord your God will choose for you to make His name dwell there. And you will offer the sacrifice of Passover, the evening at sunset, the time that you came out of Egypt. You shall cook it and will eat it in that place, the Lord's choosing. In the morning you shall turn and go toward your tents. Six days you will eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall not do no work on that day. This becomes an observance of the day of rest. That God would tell us to work six days and take one day to rest and to, to worship Him. These commands are familiar with the people already as they have been taught, even coming out of Egypt and even through the wilderness, they have been taught there's a day of rest. There's a time to eat the Passover meal. There's a time to prepare the Passover meal. And all these things, all these elements have to do with turning the person's heart and mind toward Yahweh. Toward Yahweh. Wesley sang about that this morning. Yahweh, the self-existing one, the God of creation, the God of this, of this world, the cosmos itself, creator of all things, Yahweh. And He has given them instruction how to be obedient, obedient to Him. They've been reminded of that. The Lord in His loving kindness has offered a way to cover sin and to always point to Himself as the means of salvation. No matter where you drop into human history after the fall, God has always been the means of salvation. 
He has always been the means of taking that sin, taking that sin offering, and counting to that person's credit as clean. Although it would not hold perpetually as clean, and blood only becomes a covering for that sin, there would need to be a once and for all sacrifice who would be none other than the Lord Jesus. What we see in, the, in Christ's atonement, this penal substitutionary atonement, that Christ came in our place. He laid his life down. What we see in Christ's atonement for our sin is a theological powerhouse for our faith, that he died in my place, that he died for me, that he took my sin upon himself, where the, the, uh, the blood of goats and bulls would not suffice perpetually and forever. The city has been overtaken by the enemy. The enemy has surrounded the city. And on every point in this city, we get the imagery that the city has been under siege. The gates have been locked down. All forms of trade coming in and out of the city has been, has been dried up. There's nothing coming in, nothing going out. The city is under, is under siege. The enemy has surrounded the city and has forbid people from entering in or, or leaving. Get the imagery here. Resources are running down. They are not sure if they're going to have water and food. The residents within the city, they're terrified. They're just frightened to death that they're going to die within the city walls. They're going to die of starvation. Just when all hope is lost, just when they're ready to lay down their arms under the cover of night, a spy creeps through the enemy line. He has hurried to the city to inform the people that in another place in the city, in another place on the other side, the main enemy forces have been crushed. The enemy leaders on this front have already surrendered. They have already laid down their arms. The people do not need to be frightened. And it is only a matter of time until the surrounding troops receive the news and they lay down their arms as well. Likewise, we may seem now to be surrounded by forces of evil, by disease, by injustice, by oppression, if you've watched the news at any length of time, you will see these ugly things rear their ugly head and remind us of the fall. But the enemy has been defeated on Calvary. Amen. The enemy has been crushed. And God foresaw this in this panoramic view of history from the beginning eternal to the end. He's seen it all. And as he has offered the, the lamb in, the, in, in Deuteronomy, the sacrificial lamb, until the blood of Christ, the enemy has been defeated on Calvary. He may not know it yet, but the enemy has been defeated. God has always proclaimed his way of redemption. And if we would simply hear and obey his word and know that the enemy has been defeated, we might step up and serve him with zeal. Yes, the world seems as if it is unraveling around it, around us. But you and me in Christ, we have victory in Him. Our victory is in Jesus. Our investment is not in the things of the world, it is in Christ. Our treasures are not laid up in the, in, the, in the bank in town, it is laid up in heaven. Our faith is not laid in our senators, our governors, our president, it is laid in Christ. 
The Passover lamb is now the Lord of battle. And he has waged war on sin and wickedness. Hebrews 10, 12 says, But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because that sacrifice, it is finished. A quick snapshot of the ending of Deuteronomy would look something like this. Verse 9, we see the Feast of Tabernacles and those feasts, the when, the where, and how, and how it was kept. And by the way, these feasts, if you get down to the nuts and bolts of these feasts, we see images and pictures of Christ through them. The festival of booths or of lights. We see that through the festivals, images of Jesus. Verse 13, there's three times in the year all the males were to appear before the Lord and not empty-handed to bring a sacrifice to God in some way. An order is given for the appointment of judges in the land to execute judgment. And these judges would last all the way up to the first king Saul. Verse 18, we see that in the very ending towards verse 21. In the closing of this chapter, there is a caution against planting groves and setting up images. That would be the sin of idol worship or idolatry. The main emphasis is on the atonement of the Passover and how Christ is the, the Passover lamb. He became the Passover lamb. And as I read a little earlier to you in this illustration, that Christ, when he returns, is not coming as the sacrificial lamb, but as a warrior king to ultimately judge sin and wickedness forever and ever. Today we might say something like this. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. And much like the evangelist Luke wrote in the, the book of Acts of the apostles, he wrote these words. I'm going to read now from Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 6 if you have it. Just follow with me in your Bible. Acts chapter 6, it says that we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I don't know about you, but I remember a time when I was enslaved to sin. And if there was one word in my life that would describe my, word, my world at that time, the word was darkness. Verse 7, for one who has died has, has been set free from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. He's coming back as a warrior king. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he has, he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you almost must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey its, its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from what? Death to 
life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Has sin have, has it had dominion over you? Are you struggling with that today? I'll leave you with this. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear His word. The question is, are we listening? I want to end this video with, with about a seven-minute clip. This is taken from Temple Baptist Church out of Mount Airy, North Carolina. And this one is just a simple challenge to hear God's word and obey. I was in Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. A pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up. And it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're gonna. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently. And we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing and we flew probably three, four minutes and something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day and we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, tell him we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm going to do is start circling so I don't lose you. 
because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm going to get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on and said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice. Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand? Without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're going to make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices. And everybody in this world wants to talk to you. And everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights, and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice, and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. <laughs> Finally, it all came to a stop, and the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head, and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. I knock at my door. And I open the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. 
Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. With that, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you today. Help us, God, to obey your voice. Father, it is true that the cross will truly be what takes us home. I pray, Father, that as your word has gone forward today, reminding us of the Passover, reminding us how Jesus is that lamb, how you died for our sins on Calvary and rose again. The theme of this service has been the blood of Christ and, and of course, the resurrection. But Father, I pray that today, if there's one here that you're speaking to, to follow you, today would be that day. Help us, God, to be obedient to your voice. With all the voices that are surrounding us today and all the many voices that are competing for our ear, let it be your voice that wins the day. And I pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.